Welcome to The Deep End, a podcast brought to you by DigitalOcean. Hey, thanks, Edward, for joining us to talk about uh, your startup journey uh, and tell us a story, you know, Hatch, a storytellers. You know, why don't we start with uh, getting to know you a little bit and can you tell me about your background and you know what you're working on what problems are you trying to solve yeah sure well thanks a lot for uh, welcoming me mm-hmm. and uh, hosting me um, so I come from a finance uh, background mm-hmm. I used to work in uh, mergers and acquisition in the technology sector nice uh, before uh, actually getting into blockchain uh-huh. Um, started the first company uh, in the financial derivative space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually you know the opportunity to build uh, decentralized financial products uh, on the chain that brought me uh, through blockchain. Mm-hmm. And from that point, uh, started coding mm-hmm. and uh, started um, actually to get more and more interested into the space and launched my own uh, blockchain nodes to secure uh, proof of stake networks. Okay. Uh, and this company is called uh, Postbakers. Postbakers, that's that's fantastic, right? So you know, it, it's great to know. You know, you learn something in your financial background doing M and A, and you saw the opportunity with blockchain, right? It's the yeah. hottest topic out here. Right? <laughs> Everyone's talking about it, and you know, there are a lot of new terms and technologies that are evolving, and people at time get confused. Like you know, when I first heard about your company, and, and I was reading about proof of stake, and I'm like, ah, that's interesting. What does it mean, right? You know, there, I'm sure there are people who probably have similar questions, right? What is What does it mean? How is it different from proof of work? Yeah, yeah. you know, can you talk a little bit about that, please? Um, so, actually, you know, a lot of people who are familiar with blockchain got first familiar with uh, proof of work uh, uh-huh. consensus, uh, protocols such as uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, which mm-hmm. are you know, the most famous one, uh, rely on uh, this uh, proof of work consensus, uh, where actually you have a lot of uh, computers, uh, servers, Mm -hmm. uh, competing with each other to solve uh, mathematical problems in order uh, to determine uh, uh, who's going to be the next uh, block producer, what's going to be the next block, and then add uh, this block to the chain. Uh Um, So that's very uh, consuming in processing power. And that led to the construction of a lot of uh, um, mining farms, for Uh example. I don't know if you've seen these videos in China with Because people have to compete and they need to buy more resources right, and right. have more servers, and that's uh, you know that's very polluting. That uses a lot of energy, uh-huh. and the whole blockchain community uh, thought about you know an, another system uh, which is called uh, proof of stake. And right. There are other consensus methods as well, but I think this one is the second largest one. Uh-huh. And you know, with proof of stake, actually, who's gonna um, get the right to produce the next block or to uh-huh. verify a block is uh, based on the stake that you have in the network. That's to say a- how much token you own. Uh-huh. And this uh, align incentives as well because if you own tokens, uh, you do not want to you know, double sign or double produce a block or try to attack the network uh-huh. because these tokens otherwise are going to lose in value. Um, so that's how proof of stake came into I the see. space, and our job is to run this proof of stake infrastructure and 
to receive delegations uh, from people who have a stake but uh -huh. do not have uh, the infrastructure to I secure see. the network. I see, I see. So that's an interesting place. Like, you know, if I, if I have to summarize, uh, the proof of work was very heavily biased towards people with a lot of power and uh, compute capacity to, yeah. you know, very few individuals who will come out and can essentially decide the, not the fate, but, you know, the future of the chain in a way. And it's heavily one-sided. Yeah. But with the stake, it's like, you know, yeah, you own the coin, right? There's something, a bit of that you actually own, you have a big stake in it. So, so the idea behind compromising the chain is less appealing, right? And, yeah. and you're essentially being sort of fair to people who are part of the system and giving them a right and a, a great opportunity to yeah. Uh, move forward. Is that a right summary? Yeah, um, to, to complete, it also uses way less uh, power than proof of work. Uh -huh. uh, That's the plus, yes? Yeah, for, for example, ourselves, uh, we're one of the largest uh, validators uh -huh. on some of uh, these proof of stake networks, and uh, we just need a couple of servers, like just a secure architecture with a couple of servers versus uh, tons of uh, mining farms right, uh, right. in the case of uh, proof of work. Yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, so when you say we just need a few servers, like, you know, how does this process work? Like, you know, when somebody's trying to uh, write a next uh, block, like, you know, how, how the process work? How do they come to your system? And, you know, what, what, the, what is the logic behind uh, selling this as a service or being the authority that helps validate it? So typically, um, so a client of uh, our service would be a token holder mm -hmm. uh, who has some tokens in one of these uh, proof of stake uh, protocols, uh, mm -hmm. such as uh, Tezos or okay. Cosmos, uh -huh. and they would discover about us through you know the, the content that we've made, try to be very educative, or um, through some common block explorer. And, or through some wallet in which uh, we integrate, such mm -hmm. as uh, Trust Wallet, and then they would delegate to us, so they would make an on-chain transaction, mm -hmm. uh, sending their voting power to us. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're not sending their tokens, mm -hmm. uh, we're not custodians, right. uh, they just send their voting power, and this voting power comes to add up to our stack, mm -hmm. and thanks to this, it increases the overall voting power of our validator uh -huh. and increases the chance that we have to validate the next uh, block or verify a block. Mm -hmm. And then we redistribute uh, the interest coming from, from this new block, from this inflation to mm -hmm. uh, our clients. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. That also tells me uh, the reliability of your platform is super critical, right? It needs to be up and running almost all the yeah. time and, you know, so that people are are able to submit the stakes uh, in a right possible way and nothing getting over it. So can you talk about that, the importance of reliability and you know, how are you trying to solve for that and, and how Hatch, uh, being part of Hatch has helped you out? Yeah, sure. So you know, we aim for 99, 99% of reliability, mm -hmm. uptime, uh, even uh, 100. Right. Um, so we first started with a few droplets. Mm -hmm. uh, we then, you know, learned that we had to improve. Like as our role was becoming more key mm -hmm. uh, into some protocols, and we had this long-term vision of securing uh, a lot of these protocols. We decided to improve, and what we built is uh, what is often called a Sentry uh, node architecture. Mm -hmm. um, so. 
how does it work? Technically, we have a server, mm -hmm. uh, like a bare metal server that is in charge of the validation work. Mm -hmm. And then we put in place all these uh, sentry nodes mm -hmm. um, in different regions, mm -hmm. uh, which are just uh, nodes that, like droplets, that keep in sync with the blockchain uh -huh. and uh, communicate in private mode with our validator. Mm -hmm. And that's where uh, Digital Ocean and uh, Arch really helped us because uh, you guys have cloud servers all over the world. Mm -hmm. So basically we, we put our sentries in uh, different regions uh -huh. and then we use a load balancer uh, mm -hmm. to communicate with the validator mm -hmm. and uh, we were also able to you know, multiply uh, our experiences in test uh, mm -hmm. environments uh -huh. on multiple protocols and support sometimes even support tiny protocols from uh, the ground up mm -hmm. uh, by running an infrastructure helping them to also build their protocol test their protocol and ourselves to test our infrastructure that is awesome, and it's, it's so satisfying to know that you know you're making a bet on a DO, and you know it's living up to your ex expectations. You know the reliability of uh, the infrastructure, you know is, is helping you grow as well in in that way. So that's super exciting to hear uh, as well, right? Let's change the gears a little bit, and I would I would definitely love to learn more about how you got started. Now, you told me about your finance background, and you, that's where you yeah. got the motivation. But there has to be a moment where you thought, like, you know, how did this project start it, right? Was it like just one day, I'm, this is what I'm going to work on or tell me more? Uh, it started, um, so initially, you know, I was building this, this financial derivatives on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. I was learning uh, solidity, you know, mm -hmm. building uh, smart contracts, mm -hmm. uh, a bit like uh, some other providers can do like a set, a token sets, like that's what I was building. Mm -hmm. And we wanted this product to be for, I mean, we still want this product to be for uh, institutional clients. I see. And, in Europe to do that, we would need these products to be traded on a regulated platform. Mm -hmm. So we also decided to build our own exchange. Uh -huh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but when you run your own exchange, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you can rely on some very good um, like light clients and mm -hmm. uh, blockchain endpoints provider, or you can also run your own nodes. And that's where I started experimenting running my own nodes. Mm -hmm. And I'm a token holder myself uh, of some proof of stake tokens. So mm -hmm. I, I decided with some friends to run our own nodes, uh -huh. and that's how that's how we started. Yeah, that's awesome, right? <laughs> so it's it's like you know, you're trying to solve a problem for yourself, and then you realize it's a much bigger opportunity, right? Yeah. There are people like you who are actually struggling with the same concept, and there's a notion that we need to solve this for the ecosystem as a whole. Like that's it sounds like it's something that you started probably. You, over the weekend or two and like, you know, <laughs> let me see where I go from here and then, aha, uh -huh, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I really love it. It's at the crossroad between finance because at the end we're offering some kind of fixed income project. We're uh -huh. enabling, you know, token holders to earn the inflation of this protocol mm -hmm. and also, you know, tech and cybersecurity mm -hmm. and uh, blockchain. And, but that's, that's a very interesting uh, yeah. word that's creating yeah, yeah, it's itself. Definitely, you're in the right place at the right time. Like, you know, there's a lot of buzz around this uh, and, and that's, that's exciting, right? Yeah, you briefly talked about, you know, you started working on this with your friends, right? So I'm assuming that they are part of your team now, right? Can, yeah, you, can right. you talk a little bit about your team, how big it is and you okay. know, how do you work? Right now we're still a small team. Uh -huh. uh, we're a team of five. Okay. Uh, we're completely remote. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's uh, one of us in New York at mm -hmm. the moment, uh, before he was in London with me. Uh, now we're 
Two in Portugal, actually. Okay. Um, there's one in Paris mm -hmm. and there's also one in the Philippines. Nice, nice. And you guys met through this common uh, problem that you were trying to solve or you knew them from? Uh, we knew each other from uh, from before. Okay, actually. okay, great. Yeah. So this, we, this we were sharing the, the same passion and yeah, yeah. entrepreneurial spirit. And although we were all in different countries, we quickly reconnected uh, around this you know, project. Yeah, I, I can totally see it. Like when you work, uh, with your friends, right? And work with the people that you grew up with, like then it's, it doesn't feel like work, right? It sounds like a more fun project, you know, trying to solve something together. There's a chemistry between you all. So I think you know, that's probably, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably a biggest reason for success that you guys have had so far. Yeah, I think we're each, each other. We're yeah. here pushing uh, each other's uh, to get up and uh, yeah. to get better and pushing the company to get better. And uh, that, you know, we started as a small weekend project, but we, we, we we were sharing the same passion and you know when one is demotivated the others are here to bring the motivation up and uh, you know startup life sometimes it's, right, right, it yeah, can yeah. be hard yeah <laughs> yeah like talk, talking about startup life right you know and, and i did a little bit of background research on you and whatnot it sounds like you know you probably might be running multiple at least couple of startups right at the same time and trying to solve different problems in a different domains or maybe yeah. same domains uh, can you talk a little bit about like how's that experience has been uh well that's so the two startups have a lot of synergies uh, okay. with, with each other, so I think it makes it kind of easier uh -huh. uh, in a way, but uh, it's, uh, it's very time consuming, it's very intense, <laughs> uh, need to, to travel a bit mm -hmm. and uh, also you, know, you sleep a bit less. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the people side of challenge, right? <laughs> in a startup, yes, you, know, you obviously sleep less, right? Because it's something that you're creating, you feel like it's your baby, right? You know? the idea that you've been working on throughout the day doesn't strike, it strikes probably in the middle of the night, right? And you wake up and you're like, you know, I know how to solve this, right? And you start coding, I guess. So now I can relate to that, right? And, and, and I think that's, that's the fascinating piece uh, as well as uh, the biggest toll that it takes on you as an individual as well. Tell me more about the, the technology challenges that you face, right? While building uh, this product, you know, it's, it's a pretty new technology. A lot of things are evolving, right? There are concerns around security, right? doing things at scale, you know, building a great, larger, available infrastructure, right? I'm pretty sure there are some scenarios or, or times when you hit the roadblock and thinking to yourself, you know, boy, am I on the right track, right? Yeah, uh, so actually one of the technology challenges we faced is uh, th this one I mentioned before, um, you know, building this uh, reliable uh, cloud sentry node uh, architecture mm -hmm. uh, where we had to, uh, you know, run these sentry nodes um, connected to the validator yeah. node in private mode uh, with a good firewall setup mm -hmm. and also you know, build uh, redundancy at mm -hmm. uh, the validator level. Um, we also had you know, to build good, to leverage and build uh, you know, good uh, monitoring tools mm -hmm. uh, because we want to know, you know what's happening with each right. of the server at the, like 24 seven yeah, and yeah. we need uh, notifications uh, on Slack, uh, on text messages, uh, everywhere. If anything goes wrong, would it be you know, the bandwidth or uh, you know, if one is a bit lagging in terms of uh -huh. block level right. um, and we need to quickly be able to solve uh, these issues. Um, so this was one of the technology challenges. And the other one was that you know, as, as these blockchains start to grow, mm -hmm. um, they start to use more uh, data uh, mm -hmm. within the servers and uh, you know, we were able to leverage on tools such as uh, block storage to, uh, to add more block storage uh -huh. and uh, actually increase the size of the overall uh, SSD 
of the server right, to right. be able to, to scale the servers without having to you know, spin up a new server right, and right. Uh, interrupt the, the whole activity, which needs to be up 100% of the time. I see. Yeah, we, we, we briefly talked about some of the technology challenges that you had to face when building the platform out, right? You know, let's talk a little bit about security, right? You know, you know being in a proof of stake, you know, I'm assuming that it will be a little harder for somebody to manipulate the system at a bad block yeah. because you would probably have to have a larger stake uh, yeah. into the currency that you're trying to go after and whatnot. Yeah. Like, have you had any incident or scenarios where you saw that people were trying to rig the system or probably when the currency is growing and it was pretty easy to manipulate? Is it something they can talk about or the um, system takes care of itself? Um, well, in mainnet, I did not have such experience uh, mm -hmm. yet, but uh, we had a funny one uh, in a tensnet uh, mm -hmm. environment. Uh, where basically a couple of uh, validators were, uh, were working on the testnet with a lot of voting power, each of them, but not enough to rig the system, decided mm -hmm. to actually uh, build a cartel. Ah, oh, there you go, see? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what testnets are for, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're made to have fun and uh, break stuff and you know, tokens are worth nothing on testnets. Uh, but yeah, it was a funny experience. So they basically built a cartel and yeah, yeah. Uh, rigged the whole blockchain uh, to which uh, other people responded and decided to fork uh, the blockchain but, I see. and then run uh, without uh, this cartel on another fork. But uh, that's, that's interesting. Like, you know, and, and, and I'm sure this is not the end of it, right? As, as the technology evolves and more and more people get uh, involved uh, in this process, you know, probably we're going to see uh, well, not so creative, but uh, <laughs> random ways of trying to rig the system, right? And that probably could be one of the challenges as a founder uh, to keep an eye on, right? And learn yeah. from the patterns, right? Yeah, I mean, what's more that, you know, being a validator and validating blocks that, you know, in these proof-of-stake networks very often, um, you know, network operators, uh, they also have uh, governance rights mm -hmm. uh, based on how much voting power uh, has been delegated to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's, I think there's going to be some interesting uh, governance topics coming among these uh, communities uh, in the blockchain space. Probably, you know, we're going to see emerge uh, know, parties or uh, lobbyists uh, trying to uh, influence uh, some, some of these political decisions. Uh, right. Even though code is low, uh, you know, well, people have the opportunity now to vote on a new piece of code and mm -hmm. uh, change the parameters of the network. That's, that's fascinating to hear, right? So, you know, just following through on that topic, I guess you, you touched on a couple of points that are fundamental uh, to the success uh, of not just the company, but the blockchain ecosystem as whole, right? You know, how, how do the governments around the world support uh, the technology, right? What uh, innovations or what laws uh, will come in to protect the people uh, who are part of the system and whatnot? What's your thought process? What do you think where this whole thing is going, right? Are we are we talking about everybody dealing with smart contracts and a cryptocurrency in a two years from now, five years, ten years? What what that future is going to look like? Uh, well, I, I think that future is coming. Like, uh -huh. um, I mean, that's that's the vision we have. Uh, that you know, definitely cryptocurrency is going to move towards uh, mass adoption. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to take. Uh, it's going to take some time. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still a lot of uh, challenges, uh, well, in terms of regulation, but uh, also in terms of uh, UX, like uh, user experience. Uh, if you're not part of the niche, uh, sometimes these products are not the easiest one uh, to use. So mass adoption is going to come. Um, and then there's going to be, I think, not one blockchain to rule them all, but we're going to see a lot of 
blockchain networks uh, adapt uh, to specific applications. So uh -huh. there'll be you know big public blockchains. There'll be probably some company consortium blockchains. Uh, probably we'll see uh, government uh, issued uh, cryptocurrencies on government blockchains. That's nice, yeah. And uh, you know, and probably at this point, uh, you know, the regulation will be um, more favorable. Uh, engineers will have done their user experience uh, mm -hmm. improvements, and uh, we'll be able to to see some kind of ma mass adoption of cryptocurrencies. That's awesome to hear. I know because there's always this topic being talked about on news media and whatnot, right? And then there are pundits coming over and somebody just keeps on claiming like, you know, Bitcoin has won the war, right? And it, from what I'm hearing from you, that doesn't sound like the case, right? It was way too early in the game to declare that one currency took over and that's the de facto standard. The opportunity in front of us is yeah. probably gigantic, right? Well, at the moment, for example, Bitcoin is kind of the, the store of uh, like it took Took, took over as a store of value right, right. within the blockchain space. Like yeah. uh, I think it holds about 60% of the total market cap of cryptocurrencies. But yeah, th there's definitely going to be more chains emerging. There's going to be more cryptocurrencies emerging. Uh, there's going to be a lot of chain that will be uh, private, uh, uh -huh. and we have a lot of uh, you know uh, actually cloud providers starting to offer uh, you know spin up your blockchain uh, solution. Right. Um, and uh, I think this will be adapt to specific problems. I see. Uh, I see. I see. So, where do you see the 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 biggest opportunity for uh, your not only your company but the problem that you guys are trying to solve? Like, is it going to be in a private blockchain? Is it going to be public? Or it's going to be hybrid. Right? Where's the immediate opportunity? And where, you know, the other founders who are listening to this and are looking for you know inspiration to invest or go in one direction, what, what would that be? So uh, right now our sales, we mostly look at public blockchains uh -huh. uh, and we look at, uh, we are very interested in these public blockchains that have uh, interconnectivity uh, component, uh -huh. uh, which are also called networking protocols. Uh -huh. uh, these blockchains have actually the ability to exchange uh, value or uh, in some cases messages and data with uh, other chains that are built on the same standard mm -hmm. or that uh, have some kind of bridge uh, to communicate with these chains. And you know, I think these blockchains probably they won't be the one that rule them all, but they will be able to uh, you know, connect in the future because yes. now blockchain has been very siloed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like if, if you have Bitcoin, you can't uh, interact with the Ethereum DeFi network. You need right, uh, right. some kind of ERC20 or Ethereum itself. Um, and I think in the future, you know, they'll be able to, to connect uh, and uh, you'll be able to exchange value and data between chains and would make it much smoother uh, for the end user. Right, right. And it, it, it sounds like, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what, what I'm hearing from you, like the, the technology innovation is so disruptive that things are growing organically like weeds, right? Everything is going in a different direction and whatnot, but there mm. will be a point in time where bringing them together or allowing them to connect to each other and, and, and communicate, that's probably a much bigger opportunity in market or probably a problem to be solved than fixing things in pockets and silo, yeah. like you said, right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's again, super fascinating to, to hear, you know, uh, folks in both investing in, in spaces uh, that are as complex as this, but they are the future, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to ask you when, you know, since we've been talking about some of the thought leadership that you can provide back to the community and, and uh, 
and a direction that you can give. Um, you know, I'm tempted to ask uh, this question. What do, you, what do you think about Libra? What is the future? Well, Libra was a very interesting uh, initiative. Uh -huh. Libra might have been an answer uh, to some of the you know, mass adoption problem and user experience problem. Because, uh -huh. uh, you know, it's very simple to use cryptocurrencies. Uh, they, they were also, you know, there was this Calibra wallet uh, mm -hmm. that is not a custodial wallet, but that would ensure the funds of its users. So the, all these kind of things makes it very e easy for the user, plus leveraging on uh, the user base of you know, Facebook yeah, and right. other partners uh, would have been you know, great opportunity for uh, quickly uh, having a critical mass uh, of user. Uh -huh. um, I also like the fact that you know it wasn't a speculative uh -huh. uh, kind of cryptocurrency, but right. more like a stable coin backed by uh, you know different uh, government-issued uh -huh. uh, currencies. Uh, you know, it's easier uh, for people to transact uh, with actually a currency that doesn't change 20% in value <laughs> right, right. Uh, during the same day. Um, so all, all these were good uh, pluses. Uh -huh. um, then in terms of decentralization, it was wasn't that bad uh, mm -hmm. actually. Like you know, we had a hundred uh, uh, partners. Uh, each were supposed to have one percent of voting rights in the network. Uh -huh. um, I think you know that you know th th this initiative was good uh, and gonna keep seeing more initiatives like that. Uh, there's actually a group right now that decided to fork Libra and launch uh, Open Libra. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of a more uh, open source kind of right, right. Libra where anybody is free to join and you don't have to apply and have this big uh, Fortune 500 brand in order to be accepted. Mm -hmm. um, and we definitely need more initiatives like this one uh, that uh, you know, can can make it easier for the for the end user. Yeah, I, I think what's important at the end is uh, is the end user. Exactly, one hundred percent. I couldn't <laughs> agree more. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know for what I'm what I'm hearing from you is is uh, every time you see sort of a pushback and a lot of noise being built around something new and disruptive as that coming out is actually a good sign. That means you know you're doing something right <laughs> that's making people <laughs> uncomfortable and and that's a path uh, to learn. And grow, and so at the end of the day, like you said, you know, none of us know what the future for Libra or any of this is gonna look like, but a lot of good things gonna come out, right? Because people will try and identify the problems and solve them in a right, yeah. possible way. I think at the end, people they just want to be connected with each other wherever they are in the world, right. to transact with each other, to exchange data, to to trust each other, uh, without uh, you know. Uh, unnecessary intermediaries or third parties, and right, uh, right. That's, uh, that's what the ecosystem is working on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> now that's that's great to hear, right? You know, hey, listen, you you've uh, you've one of the individuals who literally followed his passion, right, and then turned a weekend hobby project into something bigger and uh, solving a bigger problems and whatnot, right? There are are there any few learnings? or advices that you would like to give back to the community, like the people who are listening to us and, and trying to look for an inspiration, what are a couple of things that you'll say? So keep learning, uh, always keep learning. Always keep learning, yes, that's a great, great <laughs> advice, right? You know, learn it all, then know it all, right? You know, that's where people usually fail when, when they think that they know everything versus trying to learn and absorb. So that's probably fantastic advice, right? And, and then stick to your passion, probably, yeah? Yeah. Right? You know, I guess, you know, doing, running, 
couple of startups at the same time and trying to solve multiple problems uh, is no joke, right? So that's that's pretty humbling in a way uh, to hear. Uh, and and you know some of the problems that you're trying to solve are really difficult, but I think those are the ones that we need to solve uh, for all of us to get better uh, as as a society and and go from there, right? So that's awesome. Yeah. Let me let me ask uh, again some few few more questions around on the personal note, right? So you know, obviously, you know, you found your passion, you worked on that. There were a lot of source of insp inspiration that you found from within, from your friends that you worked together, right? Which is great. Uh, are there any individuals uh, that you, you know, regard the most? I would love like to follow. I would like to learn or or follow their path. Well, there are two individuals I really like. Um, so. First one, I think we all love him, uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, trying to put people on Mars, uh, mm -hmm. running multiple visionary businesses right, at the same right. time. Um, so, yeah, a lot to learn from him. And uh, there's another individual I really like, uh, Yvon Schwinach. I don't know if you know him. No, uh, no, tell me more. Uh, founder of Patagonia. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the culture he managed to establish within the company, uh, the good uh, work-life balance uh -huh. uh, for his employees and uh, the, this culture of doing good and having a good impact in the world, uh, a positive impact, uh, I think that's, uh, that, that's something great as well. That's awesome, right? So if I have to take away a couple of points from that, like Elon Musk, right? You, you totally uh, see or, or love to follow an individual who likes to think big. The rest of the people or yeah. are, 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 you know, population probably end up thinking that's crazy. Right, but he's looking at problems from a different perspective and have a much bigger picture yeah. and, and try and solve a problems that will have a large and a long-lasting impact. Right, and and the other uh, Pentagonian side of things, you're saying, you know, there is an opportunity for all of us to lead with people first. Right, yeah. invest in your people. Right, human capital. Human is, capital is, is the super most powerful things because all these things around us that is that have been built, all the problems that have been solved. Guess okay. who's all them? People, right? Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, it's it's for the people. Yes, yes. So I think you know those are great philosophies to have uh, uh, when you're building something new, right? And and trying to solve difficult problems that that yourself is involved with. So it's super amazing to hear. Right? Thank you very much for your time. Thanks it's a lot. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.